am thrilled that today's guest, uh, Paulina Portskova, is uh, an icon, uh, one of the most famous uh, supermodels of all time. I don't know who tubbed that term supermodel, but clearly you're in there. Um, has done, okay, that's it. Has done a lot of TV, has done films, uh, has uh, written a great book, No Filter, The Good, The Bad, and The Beautiful. A series of essays, really kind of very raw, very, very, very real. Um, I'm thrilled to have you. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Well, it's nice to be here, Donnie. Nice to see you again after, I guess, maybe 19 years. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that. You and I, get, we gave an award together on stage, and uh, that's so crazy. And, and here we are, a few year, just a few years later. You look great. Yeah. So, well, thank you. You kind of look the same, I think. I, okay, I think that's okay. And by the way, I love your Instagram, because your Instagram is kind of a little bit of a peek into the book, and it's just, it's real uh, everything ranging from, you know, there's, there's not a lot of makeup on there. There's a lot of very, very real, unmade-up shots. You've been on there crying. You kind of bare your soul on there. You've got a million followers. And it's what kind of led you to get to the place of the book to just say, I want to kind of let it all out. I want to I want to let everybody in. And, of course, it's a very, very, very uh, inside baseball raw look at your life. Yeah, it's 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 pretty vulnerable. Uh, you know what? It was, of course, it was not premeditated. It was not planned. Um, I think part of the story is that I was a late arrival to Instagram, and 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 you know, and, and at first I just posted what I thought you're supposed to post on Instagram, which is you know whatever, old pictures of myself, old modeling shoots, and you know, and a shot from a party or whatever. And I didn't pay much. I didn't pay much attention to it. Um, and it was, it wasn't until, I think until my husband died, uh, that I start, well, I, I couldn't, I, first of all, I couldn't post, you know, posts about me wearing a certain kind of lipstick or a sweater in, in the position that I was in, in right, life, right. the loss of my husband. And then a world war, worldwide pandemic shut down the world. And social media became literally my only friend <laughs> right. because you couldn't see your family. You couldn't see your friends. I was so desperately alone. I was so sad and so lonely and just, I was trying to stay alive. And it was like, for me to be posting my vulnerable on, uh, posts on Instagram was a way of reaching out to somebody, anybody, one person, two people to just say, is there anybody out there? Cause I feel like I'm swimming in darkness and I'm going to mm -hmm. drown. Your husband, Rick Okasik, a former lead singer of the cars died a few years back. We're going to talk about your relationship with him. Obviously let's go back to the beginning. You're, you're 15 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, Czechoslovakia. Um, were you in Sweden at this point at 15? 15, I'm in Paris. Now, just to get it straight, I was born in Czechoslovakia. Right. Uh, I, we were kicked out when I was nine years old, and we, my mother and I, my little brother, moved to Sweden, where we met up with my father. I lived in Sweden, Sweden from nine to 15, and at 15, I moved to Paris to be a model. 
So that's the story. And the way you were the way you were discovered, your friend wanted to be a makeup artist, took some Polaroids of you, sent them, uh, and somehow they got in the hands of Johnny Casablancas, and the rest, as they say, was history. Tell, tell me that moment where you got a call or, or a note and says, you're 15 years old, basically in ninth grade, 10th grade, whatever, ninth. You're, you're, you're ninth grade, you're a little girl, and you get this call that we want you to model, or how did it, how did it happen? It didn't quite happen like that. I know it's kind of like, it's a better story if it's quicker, but you know, everything right. takes time. Uh, what happened was that that friend that sent a picture of me into this um, uh, older lady in uh, who, who, who was like a talent scout for John Casablanca. And John Casablanca was coming into town, into Copenhagen, like a month later after I had met with this lady. And he was doing one of those like elite model contests in a mall in Copenhagen. And the small city that I lived in in Sweden was was like kind of train ride, a boat ride, and a bus ride away from Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. So me and this lady went to meet John Casablanca, you know, a month later in uh, Copenhagen. And it was just me walking into a kind of an empty mall and John was sitting at a table and I sat down and, and, and he looked at me and he said, you have very beautiful skin. Would you like to be a model and go to Paris? And I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And he said, okay, bye. See you in Paris. <laughs> that was that. You know, as somebody, as a father of, of daughters, and I actually have a daughter who's 15 right now, how young that is. You know, you read it, you go, okay, 15-year-old, she was discovered, she was there. I, I can't fathom my daughter at 15 going off to Paris and being a model and being in the position of this object of beauty and all that comes with it, good and bad, and so much of the, the-, the themes of your life. And take me through that first shoot because you're, you're a baby. And here they are. They're putting makeup on you. They're, they're, they're primping you. And what's going on in your mind? Oh, so much, Donnie, so much. But there's also, I I have to preface it with, when I was in Sweden, when I lived in Sweden, I was known as a political refugee. Um, I was, all the kids in school called me a dirty communist. So I was severely bullied in school. And you were were gawky gawky and awkward. You you didn't consider yourself beautiful, right? I was five, nine and a half. I was really skinny. I had these funny teeth. No, I wasn't by any means regarded as attractive. So when, you know, when my go when when this old lady introduced me to John Casablanca and he said, Do you want to be a model? I also I mean I felt like it was like akin to him going, Would you like to be an astronaut and be shot out yeah, yeah, onto yeah. Mars? You know, I was like, yeah. uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like it made no sense to me. And then I find myself in Paris in June, and uh, you know, I had just turned 15. And, uh, and I went from a country and from a school where I was told I was ugly and I, you know, nobody would want to date with me because I was so hideous to going to a place where suddenly I was beautiful or or pretty or even beautiful. My, my first day, I remember this because I, I walked in, we walked, it was me and this other girl named Jeanette who was 16. We traveled together from Sweden by ourselves to Paris, and we were staying at uh, in the same room at this apartment of the hotel, uh, hotel, the agency um, who ran the agency in Paris, a woman. And we went to the agency to introduce ourselves to the bookers and get these portfolios made. It was like sure. books with your 
the three pictures yeah. that I took in Sweden. Sure. Um, and a photographer came in, this little French man, and I, I just heard a conversation in French. You know, the bookers were going, bah, 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 and he was going, bah, bah. <laughs> they were like looking at us, you know, kind of like uh, you would look at, at livestock, at, you know, at a, a piece of meat. Yeah, a piece of meat. Yeah. Uh, and the next thing I knew was, oh, you, both you and Jeanette got booked for a job, you know, day after tomorrow, uh, for Le Mariage, which was a wedding, uh, you know, like it's like the weddings magazine. Of course, I'm yeah. 15 and she's 16. We're not like, we're she's not 16, like, oh, right? Yeah. People. Yeah. Well, the old country, right? <laughs> I'm going to be getting married. Right. <laughs> so the, that day, and that was, that was a Monday, I remember, and we were, driven out into the country to the photographer's house and there was makeup and there was hair and there was all these wedding dresses. And so that was my very first shoot. And I, I remember feeling so unbelievably awkward and I had no, I felt like I had too many arms. Uh, and I, I just like, you know, I didn't know what to do with my hands. I didn't know where to look, what to do, but there was this, uh, a male model who was playing our husband. And, okay. <laughs> uh, and then I sort of got talking to him or he was talking to me and I sort of, I forgot about modeling. And, and so yeah. the pictures, I guess, turned out all right. Uh, but that's mostly because I, did, I had no idea what I was doing and I was just talking to this really cute guy. Yeah. And fast forward three years later at 18, you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, that's insane. Uh, and the first uh, admit, uh Central European woman to be on the cover. You were on the cover two years in a row. I think you and Christy Brinkley were the only ones to do that. What's life like at 18 and being on the cover? Like basically at that point, the most famous uh, Google, not Google, that's the wrong word, uh, worshipped, modeled. Uh, I, I, like in, in our society, and you know this better than anybody, you, you're, a model is put on a pedestal. Well, uh, back then, yeah, back then we certainly yeah. were, yeah. You know, and what, uh, you're 18, you're, do you remember the first time you saw yourself on the cover of Sports Illustrated? It meant absolutely, I, I thought, man, hey, whatever. Uh, I mean, don't forget that by the time I was, well, I did my first Sports Illustrated when I was 17, and then I got the cover okay. at 18. Um, and I thought the picture was passable. I wasn't very impressed by it. Uh, I had already had probably 100 covers of yeah, whatever, yeah. Mademoiselle and Cosmopolitan and blah, 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 like you know all these other magazines. So the Sports Illustrated cover to me, I was like, eh, whatever. Yeah, just it's whatever. Right. Let, let's also shade, uh, shine a light on the quote unquote glamorous world of modeling. One of the stories you tell is just I, I, I chills reading about it. I, I, I just wanted to punch something. Is that you're a young girl with a photographer and. He, why don't you pick it up from there? Because it's a story that, as a dad, you just just made me cringe. Yeah, um, dad's being how, uh, so how old I, were you? Well, this is probably my third job, so I'm like, this was oh, I, this was that early on. It was your yeah. third job. Yeah. So you're still you're still 15 at this point. I'm most definitely 15. Uh, I'm 15, and I'm still. I am so afraid. That they're gonna that I'm gonna be sent back to Sweden. That you know that I'm not that somebody made a tremendous mistake in asking yeah. me to be a model, and and so I, I really want to please everybody. I, I just want to mm -hmm. be the most obliging, friendly, delightful girl that you could possibly wish. Because I, I 
knew, like, you know, I had been told I wasn't attractive. So I thought I had to rely on being nice. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You had, you had, you had the extra thing. Yeah. Yeah. So my third job, I'm sitting down at the makeup mirror and and the makeup artist is doing my makeup and the photographer enters in from behind me in the darkness of the studio. And he walks up to me and he puts something on my shoulder and I'm just I'm really nearsighted, first of all. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm like, just laughing. And the makeup artist sort of steps away and she's laughing and he's laughing and everybody's laughing. And it's like, ha, 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 but I have no idea what's going on. And I'm like, there's this like soft, warm thing on my shoulder. And I'm sort of trying to figure out nearsightedly in the mirror what it is. It's kind of looks like a large brown flower, or, but it feels like pantyhose with mashed potatoes stuffed with mashed right. potatoes. Like I can't right, figure right. out what this right. is. But everybody's laughing. It's a funny, funny joke. And so I laugh along uh, and it doesn't dawn on me until he retracts this thing from my shoulder and zips up his fly that it was his penis. Um, and balls, I guess, the whole package. Right, um, right, right. And look, and I'm, and I'm 15, so I look at it as, oh, so this is what my new job is. And you looked, there was a woman there, there was a woman makeup, and you looked over at her and she was laughing. So you figured, okay, well, I guess I should laugh or whatever. What a, what a, what a disgusting thing. This is normal. This is what my job is, you know, that this is a part of my job. Um, and I wasn't wrong. It, it continued to be a part of my job. It's just disgusting. It's just. Uh, do you think it's still the same way today, or or, or we've evolved where that just just doesn't? Go I don't think anymore? it's that we've evolved. I think that social media, with its drawbacks, it has had an incredibly positive uh, uh, thing here too. Is like if if a photographer did that to a model today, um, he'd be in jail. He'd be in jail. He's just gonna put it out there, and he's dead. Yeah, it's just. Uh, I can't. I can't. I just, I couldn't get that out of my, I just, and, and you're 15, I mean, at any age for a woman to go through that. And of course we've gone through the Me Too movement and there's been so many positive things that have happened as a result of it. But uh, I can't fathom at 15. Paul, I want to ask you, it's so much of the theme of your book is about beauty and how it defines you as a woman, how it changes as you age, how you've managed that change. Um, as somebody who has who made their stock and trade, and you did every you got a, a huge deal with Estee Lauder. I mean, you you did everything a woman can do, whose career is about their beauty and celebrates their beauty. Was there a moment? I think you're 57 now, and I, I know I say that you're proud of your age. Was there a moment, that, an age, where you started to say, "Uh oh." Where you realized, well, maybe the jobs weren't going to be as as robust anymore, and that uh, that this very thing that was the was your uh, certainly your meal ticket and very much defined your brand. This show is all about brands. That you said to yourself, "Whoa!" and that this that the world was not going to be as forgiving as maybe one in an ideal world would think and hope for. Well, um, look when I when I started modeling professionally full time, which was <laughs> at 15, um, I was always aware that there was a ticking clock because nobody in modeling aged past being a girl, right? We were always right. called girls. We still are called girls. I, I'm now called an old girl, which to me is very old girl. Uh, old there, girl there are no women in modeling. It's only girls yeah. and old girls, apparently. 
Um, but I was always aware of a, of a ticking clock. I knew that this is a, it's like an a athlete's career you, or a dancer. You sure. only get a certain amount of time. So you better make your money, um, put it away and, and, and figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. It's a temporary job. And so I did. I, 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 I worked. Um, I met my husband when I was 19. Um, I got married when I was 23. And I moved on to movies. And, uh, you know, then in my 30s, I wrote a novel. I wrote a children's book. Like, so I was, you know, I, I knew that I, that I couldn't be a model at a certain age. That, it, that I, if I was, if I did a model shoot, it would be sort of a curiosity, not an actual job. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I never sort of fooled myself in that. But when I turned 50... And then 52, and my marriage was withering, and it was very clearly sort of dead by the time I was 52. Um, and I realized that I was going to, I was going to leave my husband. We were going to get a divorce, and I was going to have to stand on my own for the first time in my life. And I'm in my 50s, and I don't, you know. And I figured what we had made together in the 35 years that we were together that you know half of that would be okay it would be enough to support me and then I would have to go out there and and figure out what you know how, how else to make money um and then of course life had different ideas but I it's not like I was under a delusion that I could at 50 yeah. go oh so I was thinking about um being a supermodel again yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll go back. I'll go back to work. Right. I'll yeah, go back yeah. to that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I wasn't delusional. Um, right. But I did. Uh, I did realize that I was kind of in a hard spot because I didn't have any education past how to, you know, wear ugly clothing and make them look good. So yeah. <laughs> I was a little limited in my abilities. You know, I you you've talked in the book about the um, the bias against men staring at women of a certain age, where it's okay to ogle young girls, but the older they get. And I I had an early professional experience. It was amazing. One of my advertising career, I, one of my clients was called Lear's Magazine. It no longer exists, and it was a magazine that came out. It was created by Francis Lear, this brilliant brilliant woman who was Norman Lear's ex-wife and it was called the women for the women who wasn't born yesterday it was women over 40 and the ad campaign that we did we showed semi-nude women they were probably in their early 50s or whatnot and they were covering themselves you know they had their hands over their chest so they weren't naked but they were clearly nude in the pictures and the Sunday Times magazine wouldn't run the ad they would run fashion ads with you know men stepping on women and, and so demeaning to women yet they wouldn't and I remember being on the phone with the with the standards guy and said well why won't you run the ad and he said well because the woman and he caught himself he's going to say because she's of a certain age and I really saw that up close and personal how society could not process the sexuality of an older woman thank you Donnie it's so nice to hear a guy say it so I, I, I actually have always found women of appropriate age and and then some more attractive. I, I I never got the when I see a guy when I see a fifty five year old guy with a twenty seven year old woman. I I think. 
they both look ridiculous. All right. I, I, I don't, I don't envy the guy. I think he looks like an idiot. And, but we have had trouble processing the sexuality of a woman as she ages. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, after we are not, no longer fertile, we're like literally livestock. We should just yeah. be retired to pasture. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and that's, I'm, I'm not okay with that. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's fair. It's like, yeah. uh, unless you also retire all the 50 year old men, then you don't yes. do that to women either. Unfortunately, um, the, the society doesn't work that way. No, I, I don't know. And it I doesn't. didn't set it up that way. You didn't set it up that way. No. It's been set up like that for ever. And sure, it's based on biology and procreation. And, and so, but it, it, we should have evolved by now to a, a different place because we are not. You know, we're not fighting for survival in caves, um, you know, trying to spear woolly mammoths. Yeah. I'm getting my timeline a little mixed up. But we live until a much later age, right? So we, us women, I think what, what's, some, like, what's our lifespan now is like 78, 79. And that's, and it's getting longer and longer. So meaning like when we're in our 50s, we're not that old. We could be no. middle-aged. Yes, so, yes. And we have a whole, we'll have another 40, 50 years of being invisible. That seems kind of shitty. Yeah. Speaking of invisible, you, you, you talk a lot about your marriage to Rick Okasik, who, as I said, was the leader of the cars. You met him at 19. And then at a point you felt invisible in your marriage. And that, that must that that he didn't kind of want to go near you, and that particularly for a, for any woman for any man that's a very tough position. But especially for someone who's as beautiful as you, and 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 it must and as I said, who you spent so much of your adult life having the opposite sex fantasize about you and and idolize you and put you up on a pedestal. Yet in your own home, you were feeling rejection. Yeah, you know, it's funny how um, people's assumptions, I think this is in part to what, what a lot of my book is about, is trying to correct some of those assumptions. You know, people assume, people assume that because you were a famous model and because you were called beautiful, that you feel famous and beautiful and life is, you know, perfect. And yeah. it, people's assumptions are just people's assumptions. It has nothing to do with real, you know, celebrities are real life people too. Yeah. Just like you and me, right? right. Just like the, the Us Magazine says. Yeah. I mean, and right. I know, I, I, I understand that it's, that it's not everybody can process that, that, you know, my life is not noticeably better than uh, yours. But I think the death of my husband is sort of what humanized me to people and also his subsequent you know, will thing where he yeah. disowned me, um, where people went. Yeah, oh. just to clear for our audience, you had you had been separated. Your but husband passed away. Together, we were still. But, but we were still still together. together. But your husband, unbeknownst to you, had kind of taken you out of his will at that point. Yeah, but completely. Like he yeah. wouldn't even give me what was my due as a divorced woman. Uh, yeah. yeah, he uh, he claimed that I had. Um, Abandoned him, Abandoned so him. I wasn't yeah. uh, entitled to, I guess, any part of the estate, which, of course, was a lie, so that didn't really work in their favor. Yeah. But uh, it was it was pretty brutal to um, 
have to deal with the trauma of the person that has been your whole life and the grief of missing this person and then that they betrayed you that their last move was to fuck you over that was uh pretty hard you've obviously done a lot of work and introspection and reflection why do you think it went down that way i'll never know really you'll never know no and i have to be okay with that i can make assumptions and i'm about it but again it's like i'm trying to tell people that making assumptions is a really bad thing. So yeah. I'm going to try to resist from making my own. But so I, look, a part of my work on this, a part of the work of getting past how, how hard those last three years have been is remembering how great a large swath of the relationship was. And, and then gratitude that I had that much love and that much important love in my life when I had it. Is there a special person in your life now? Nope. No? <laughs> no. Nope. I'm looking for that important person. All right. All right. All right. So if there was one net, net, net you want, if you were going to, I don't want to say sell the book, but you were going to talk to, you were on the train with a woman or anybody and said, well, here's why I'd love you to get my book. Not just because I want you to buy my book, but I think this is what you, this is what you'd get out of it. How would you, how would you position that? Well, that's you wanting to, you, you want me to sell my book to you? <laughs> no, I want you to say for you, because there's a lot in the book, but what you think is probably the most critical takeaway from the book or the essence of the book, uh, the soul of the book that if, boy, if I can accomplish this with this book and one woman takes X, Y, Z away, boy, this will be a job well done. I mean, in a way, it's kind of like my Instagram account is like if if I can, I think if I can make one one woman reading the book feel less lonely about where she's at in life, about maybe being middle-aged, feeling, um, you know, alone feeling disenfranchised feeling lost maybe grieving um you know your kids are grown up they get their own lives and you have spent all your life up till now with such a purpose as a mother and as a wife you know it's like getting the troops through you know yeah (laughs) yeah and like and you become this you become a really great commander and then all of a sudden your job's taken away troops are gone it's done yeah you're you're out of work yeah yeah and you're unmoored and um and you have no money (laughs) uh nobody wants to employ you so it's i think I think I wanted to write the book initially as 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 being a sort of a companion because in my grief and in my in my really dark days I so and because it was a isolating time with the pandemic too I always turned to books for comfort always my whole life I've done this and when I really needed to turn to them for comfort there was very little available um you know, about being a woman in, 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 in her fifties and, and, and sort of mourning the, the idea that you weren't seen as beautiful anymore. I mean, it's great that I think that I'm beautiful and I do, I think that I am 
quite extraordinary. In fact, I, I think I'm better than I've ever been, but the world doesn't agree with me. So. No, I, this, this person agrees with you. I, by the way, in the little time we spent together, I, I think I could tell how beautiful you are inside also. Oh, uh, I just, it, it really, even though we're sitting there staring at a Zoom at each other, it really shines through your core, your essence, your, your sensitivity, your vulnerability, your honesty, uh, and your passion. Uh, Pauline, I really, really appreciate you spending time. I really enjoyed it. The book is No Filter, The Good, The Bad, and The Beautiful. And we're going to land on the beautiful part. Paulina Portskova, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you, Donnie. Do you have any friends? 